everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Granitetown Media's Inside Milford. My name is Tim Finan, and I will be your host for today's episode. We are very fortunate to have as this week's guest, Milford's Chief of Police, Mike Viola. Chief Viola began his career in law enforcement in 1989 as a patrol officer on the streets of Fort Myers, Florida, working his way up through the ranks of sergeant, lieutenant, and captain before being selected as Milford's Chief of Police in August of 2012. Thank you for joining us, Chief. Thanks for having me today. So seven years. Yep, and it's, uh, it's been a quick seven years. <laughs> With quick seven years, it's funny. What I was going to say was it seems like you've been here forever. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's really been a good experience for me because the, um, the town actually accepted me, allowed us, myself and the family, just to integrate in. And so it's been a real good move for us. Glad to, glad to hear that. So before we get started, talk a little bit about your personal history. So were you, are you from Fort Myers? No, I'm originally from New Jersey, and then I moved to Virginia. And then literally I went to Fort Myers, Florida just for the job. Oh, okay. Okay. So so where did you go to school? Where did you go to high school? In Virginia. In, Virginia. in Northern Virginia, in Manassas. Oh. Manassas? Yep. Interesting. My sister, uh, does she still live there? No, she moved, but she used to live in Manassas. It's a nice area. Oh, it's very nice. Right on the old, um, by all the Civil War areas. So, okay, so you uh, you went to Fort Myers right out of high school? Because I'm looking, and I and you went to Barry University, but in 2004, it says here. Is that yeah, you graduated? Yeah. Actually, uh, it was it wasn't right out of high school. I wish I was that young, but I'm not. So I actually went there. I was 26 when I went there, and we started going down there for a vacation. My family did when we were down there one time. Actually, when my mom was down there one time, she picked me up an application for me. I mailed it in, went down, took the test, and was hired, and just pretty much moved down there blindly. Hmm. Okay. So so you joined the force, and then you went to. Then after you joined the force, that's when you went to college. Is that yes. Right? Okay. Yes. So you went to Barry University, and what was your what did you study there? I have a bachelor's in public administration, and then I also obtained my master's later on in arts and administration, which basically is the private side of business. And both of those were from Barry. Yes. And then I see here you also went to the FBI Academy. In uh, 2009, I went to the FBI Academy, National Academy, mm-hmm. which is. Um, it's a leadership academy. It's a 10-week course that's in Quantico, Virginia. It's a, it's a very good course. Uh, not a lot of people get accepted. In Florida, I believe we had 10 people per cycle go in okay. for, through the whole state. And even out here in, in New England and in New Hampshire, we only get one per cycle here. Oh, so that's cool. So I picture when I think of the FBI Academy, you know, I think of Fox Mulder and Scully, you know, <laughs> running those obstacle courses. Or, or what was that movie, um, Silence of the Lambs, right? Yes, it is. Where um, yeah. Jodie Foster, she was in the police academy. And it's it's real good. Uh, the courses that you take there are actually college, college courses at a University of Virginia. So you, you do get college uh, credits for it, but mm-hmm. you could take everything from media to forensics. And so it's, it's very good, and the, the courses are taught by instructors that also teach at the FBI Academy. So Fort Myers, and I looked this up, and the population now is right around 80,000, which is basically Nashua, I think. Yes. Around so. But, I mean, I've been to Fort Myers several times. I don't think of it as like a Nashua, though. I worked in the, the city of Fort Myers. It's... Uh, Everything's considered Fort Myers. Lee County is the uh, the county there. So the city is, is, is different than the incorporated part of it, okay. which is uh, patrolled by Lee County Sheriff's Office. Okay, so you were only in the like the old part of the city, whatever, whatever that part. Well, we were in the, yeah, we were in the city part. Uh, we had the downtown district. We were right on the Clusatry River. Okay, so the things like like the beaches, Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel Island, and all that is that not Fort Myers? That wouldn't be Fort Myers. That'd be uh, Lee County. Is it in the city in the limits of Fort Myers? It's it's in the it's in Lee County, but sometimes they refer to it as yeah. not more of Fort Myers Beaches. I believe Fort Myers Beach is actually a city now, uh, but that's all. That would be Fort Myers Beach is patrolled by Lee County Sheriff's Office. Sanibel has their own police department. Um, but really, the city, we would just have jurisdiction right in the city limits, which at the time when I was there, I believe had about 60,000 people. So because I was going to say, that's, it's quite a different demographic with all the beaches and, and all that. But so that really wasn't part of your beat, per se. Right. Okay. Right. 
Okay. So what was Fort Myers like? I mean, c- compare it to Milford. Is it night and day? It's night and day. Really? Yes. It's, um, it was a great place to work. It was a great place to live. Uh, we were very busy. Uh, you have a whole different demographics of crime there. We had a lot of uh, violent crime there. So it's it's a lot different. You know, you had some issues with, as anywhere else, drug-related issues. Uh, we, we dealt with a gamut of everything there. One thing about working in the city of Fort Myers, we, we worked all the cases. Like like here in New Hampshire, if we have a, a homicide here in New Hampshire, the AG's office would come in, the state would come in and help for a homicide where we were a self-entity. We would do it all there. Oh, okay. Kind of like what Manchester does. I believe they still they do their whole investigation and so on. So you also have a bunch of baseball parks down there. Yes, we do. And we had the, uh, the Red Sox there. Yeah, I know. We've had uh, this conversation yep. before. I think I think you said you either worked at JetBlue or did traffic detail. or. Well, when I was there, the Red Sox were in the city of Fort Myers, down, right, up at, um, down on at Edison, the City of Palms, City, city of Palms, Palms Park, right. which is on Edison Avenue, which was literally a quarter mile from the police department. So I, I worked it there. When, when, I, when I left... That's when they they moved over to uh, JetBlue Park. Okay, which is that would be considered the county. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Even so the, you would not have right. But that that must that must be fun having uh, doing detail at baseball games. It was because the, there's also the Twins, but that's probably not that's probably also Lee County, right? That's Lee County. That was right down from JetBlue Park. So what brought you to Milford? How did you find out about the job and and because that's a big move going from Fort Myers all the way up to. Yep. To um, to Milford, actually, uh, I was just we we were in the process of we wanted to get out of, of Florida. Uh, I had enough time there, so I started looking at places I would like to go. My wife is originally from Nashua, so okay. she grew up in this area. Uh, she has family that was living in Milford that do live in Milford. So I've been here a couple times, not a okay. whole lot, but I've always been impressed with it. I, I came up here in reference to. Um, a situation that was not a good situation where one of my nephews uh, was involved in an accident up here several years ago. So I uh, so I came up here and I saw how the town pulled together. Uh, I was very impressed with that. I was impressed with the police department, how they, they reacted to it. So it was, that always left uh, um, a positive and a negative thought, you know, for a such a bad situation I had. It was very positive to see how the town rallied around. So it was good to see a town. I'm not used to a small town. Mm-hmm. So it was good to see it. And when we started looking for places, we said, you know, these these are certain states we would like to look at. And how did you find out about the job? Uh, it was just advertised, actually, so, so, and uh, we were so, looking so at it. So mailing lists at all potential um, chiefs get? Yeah, I, I started, uh, when I started looking around for a uh, chief's job, and, and again, I, I really enjoyed Fort Myers. I didn't have to leave, um, but we felt like our kids were still young. Because ha- I have five boys, two of them were in high school at the time or just getting out. I had two young ones. Uh, or three young ones, I'm sorry, that were still in school. And I, if we were going to make a move, we needed to make the move then before they really, you know, they were still in elementary at the time. Mm-hmm. So when we got here, they basically uh, had, uh, I believe they were in second, third, and fourth grades here, or third, fourth, and fifth. So it's uh, so they've been in the school system all along, and uh, we've never looked back. Great, great. So let's let's get into Milford, the police department here. So just let's start with just like an overview of, of what we have. So how, how many employees do we currently have? We currently have 38 employees. We have 27 sworn officers. We have one prosecutor. We have four full-time administration staff. We have four part-time admin staff. And we also have the two traffic safety aides. So... You said 27. That includes yourself, I'm guessing? Yes. That includes and all the captains. That's all the all, all the folks in uniform most of the time. You mentioned the traffic aides. So those those are the crossing guards, right? That yes, they, and they, they do a great job. They've been here well over 20 years. Julie and Jody, they, everybody knows them. Mm-hmm. They've just done a fantastic job, and they, they make life a lot easier for us. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they do. Now, do we... Do we fund them completely ourselves, or does the school help out at all? They help out. They uh, We fund one, and they fund the other. Oh, that's a, a nice compromise there. And you mentioned the prosecutor. I don't know whether this the roster online is correct, but um, is it Corrine Brops? Yes, Corrine. 
Corinne? Yep. Um, so what is the – this is a genuine question because I don't know how it works. The prosecutor obviously prosecutes cases that are brought by the department, really. Yes. So that would be if somebody is arrested for breaking and entering or something. They would yeah. they would go to the Milford Court? Yes. And, and the prosecutor? Pretty much misdemeanor cases, uh, she would prosecute the misdemeanor cases for okay. us. She would – she would take over the investigation, the prosecu- prosecutor part of the investigation. But larger cases would not? The felonies would go to the county's attorney office. Okay, uh, okay. And they would do that part of it. Okay, so the prosecutor is, is always local, always goes to yes. the, the new court down, down And there. she also acts as a liaison between us, between our department and the county attorney's office, too. So okay. she's she's very helpful. She's uh, really done a great job for us, and uh, is very involved with a lot of our cases, and works well with the officers uh, to make sure that we we bring a good case forward. So the two captains, you, so we have two captains, uh, Captain Fry and Captain Peltier. So how how are their duties split? Do they have separate duties, and they're responsible for separate things, or are they basically the two of the same position? No, it's. Uh, Captain Craig Fry, he's in charge of operations, which is basically your patrol. Uh, you might see him out. He he looks over the details, uh, make sure that we have proper staffing out there. Uh, but he does everything in reference to patrol. Uh, captain Pelletier is he has he's our support captain, okay. uh, which would involve detectives, the school resource officers, juvenile officers, or fall under his command. Okay. Also, he's would be responsible for internal affairs investigations and um, really anything. Okay, so end. so all the all the all the officers report up to one or the other. Yes, and do 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 they both patrol themselves? Do they ever go out on calls? They will. They will go out on calls. Uh, they are in the office quite a bit. Also, we also have the uh, five sergeants that that work the road, which four of them are on the road, and then one of them is in detectives. Okay. Yeah, I saw that over here. So that was my. So you've got the the four sergeants, and are there? Looks like there's 14 officers. Is that right? There is. We have a total of 19 officers altogether. So we have. Okay. We have the officers on the road. Then we have uh, two detectives. Okay. Then we have an SRO, and we also have a juvenile officer too. Okay. But the officers on the <clears throat> road. So they are, are they broken up into like patrols or something that yes. each under each uh, under a sergeant. Yeah, we it's uh, sometimes the sergeants overlap because the way our schedule is, we try to get we we have to have enough officers on the road throughout the twenty four hour day. So some of theirs, the sergeants are in a little different schedule than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so they end up working with they the two daytime sergeants work with pretty much the same people on the day shift and same with the night shift. Okay, good. So how many at any given time? How many officers are? On duty and on the road. How the minimum that? we'll have is two on duty. Okay. Um, the max we could have, we can have several. Like on a Friday night, we're at nine o'clock. We have our midnight shift comes in at nine. Mm-hmm. They work at nine to seven. So you'll have the officers from your four to two shift on, which could be three to four officers. Then you have two officers coming in on your on your midnight shift plus the supervisor. So you could have a good six seven officers out. But there's always somebody on patrol all yes. the time, right? Yes. Which isn't true in some of the surrounding towns. Right. So what, what about yourself? What, I mean, obviously the chief is responsible. You're the, the buck stops here person. What, what are your day-to-day jobs besides having to sit down with people like me? What? I, do a, I do a lot of admin stuff. I really try to uh, talk a lot with the officers. Uh, I try to have a good relationship with the citizens. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that one of the main goals that we have to have as a police department is to have a good working relationship with the people that are in our town and also the businesses in our town. And so that's that's kind of my, my main goals is to make sure that I know what's going on within the town, uh, make sure we're, we're giving quality police services to the town also. Do you ever go out on calls? I do some. Uh, I'm more of a backup, but not a tremendous amount of no. But Maybe if it's, it's really if it's a major call or if it's uh, you know a major accident or so, I, I will show up. So anything in in that nature, I would probably be out there on. Uh, so crime from a policing perspective, what would you say are the biggest concerns or issues in town nowadays? It's it's worked out pretty well. We have a real good relationship with the town, so I, I believe it's really helped reduce the amount of crime that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the same issues as other towns in reference to 
drugs and opioids. But luckily, we don't see it as much. Uh, and I think that's uh, a good testament to our officers and also to the to the citizens that, that report it. And one of the things that we've also done is we are involved in the uh, Hillsborough County Street Crimes Task Force, which allows us to work with other, other agencies mm-hmm. uh, in a joint cooperation to, so if we do have a problem here in town, uh, we can bring other officers from other agencies to help us with that issue. And I think that's made a big difference. Uh, when when we've had some some operations involving drugs, illegal drugs, we, we've brought people in, and, and it's made a difference. It, it helps our resources, and it, it gives us more people to, to solve the problem that we have to solve. So you, uh, you mentioned opioids. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a significant problem? I mean, we hear all the time how bad it is in New Hampshire even. New Hampshire is one of the right. the, the, uh, the worst in the country, I believe. Um, do we have a significant problem? I don't, I don't believe we do based on, you know, the, our, our records mm-hmm. and, you know, the information that I obtained. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes you don't know how much you're missing because, um, you know, there's, there's ways that we don't get called. I was going to ask that question. If like like a typical overdose, would you be involved, or would that be ambulance? No, we so. we would be a lot of times. We get called. Okay. We would go, especially if it's an overdose. Okay. So so we, you probably would have. Yeah. If that was the case. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that that's interesting. What about um, domestic violence? Now I know that you know we have a lot of multifamily homes, and I know at least statistically, it's more prevalent in that type of a housing uh, situation. Mm-hmm. We we do get a lot of domestic calls. Uh, most of them are just uh, arguments. Um, so it's more disturbances. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually our domestic domestics are down. So overall, it's it's doing well. And I think some of the some of the ways we combat that part is to have a good relationship with the apartment complexes, uh, which you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But also just out and about, and and people do call. So a lot of times we do respond out there, and it's uh, more it's more usually an argument, and people, you know, will either leave for the night, and you know things usually or most time work out. So it works out pretty well. Do you have any numbers on that? On number of calls for? I don't have the like numbers rough, on that. You don't really know. Yeah. Okay. And the way I usually do that is it's based on. Um, more of assaults and the way we look at that part of it. And okay. like this okay. year, when you look at uh, simple assaults, we have we have 47 so far this year and last year. So at the what, same what is a simple assault? Is it what I think it is? I mean, if, if you know, there's a fight downtown or something. Yeah, know. it could be that. Or a lot of times it's that, that would be your domestic relationship. Oh, your domestic violence yeah, would be a simple assault. It could be under assault. that if, you okay. know, if something happens and and there is some type of altercation. So it could be, it would be written so up So 47, that. and this is almost November. Yeah. And last year at this time or around this month, we were right around 80. So it has oh, okay. decreased quite a bit. So I don't know if you can extrapolate like, like this, but that's once a week. Right. Kind of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it seems like we do have more than that, you know, but more of the disturbances. So, again, it, some are going to be written up as disturbances. Some are going to be written up as assaults. If if there's more to it, mm-hmm. to where there is some type of an assault or altercation that, you know, somebody was, uh, a battery was committed on somebody or so on. So it's, it's we've had some reduction there. Uh, again, I don't, we've looked at ways to, to try to find to combat it better i don't know how you can at times mm-hmm. uh more there's a lot of education out there uh we work well with bridges we do lap screens um so there's we're we're real involved in that we try to to when somebody is a is involved in an altercation we do a lap screen we we give them alternatives we give them contact numbers to you know if they need to talk to somebody if they need to go over to bridges and so on what, what is a lap screen uh, it's just um, it's basically a screening process where there's questions that you ask the victim. Okay. And it you know basically it'll give you a, a score and see where they're at on that part and if they need to go further if, if okay. there, there's more things that we need to do to help them out. Uh, what about violent crime? Do do we see much of that? We don't see a whole lot of violent crime here, and that's that's hopefully it that stays the same. Yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to think. Have we had any murders in the no. last couple of years? I mean. We had uh, we we had one negligent homicide that we 
that we investigated, but that was in reference to one of the uh, fatal car accidents that we had. One of the things that we've we've noticed a big difference in that I think a lot of, I don't know, surrounding towns, but mental illness is, a, is an issue that we have to deal with. We have seen a, an increase in suicides within our town. Really? Uh, and that's something that we really are trying to, to get more educated on. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, on how to deal with that. Does that like slice across all demographics and ages? Yeah, I believe it does. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, you don't know what somebody's going through. So right. one of the things we've done in the, over the last couple of years is we bring in people that can give us a little more input, educate us on mental illness type incidents and how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just sometimes, you know, it's, you know, again, you're getting into this type of time of year with the holidays and stuff. You know, you never know if it's going to increase. So hopefully if people are having those thoughts, they, they reach out to the to whatever they can to try to help them get through these these tough times. We're here if anybody needs us. You know, we have access to, to bring professionals to talk to people. So, Yeah, you know. I was going to ask that. So people can reach out. I mean, obviously there's, there's um, professionals that are uh, trained in this, but they could reach out to the to Mac base of the PD and, and you would know what to do. We would uh, we would try to set them in the right direction okay. and, and we would do the best we can. I, I don't want anybody to go through with that and I hate the families have to deal with that. So whatever, any any way that we could help somebody, we would try. Uh, you mentioned the just a little while ago, you mentioned the, an accident on the bypass. It seems like there have been a lot, in, you know, not just Milford, but going over into Amherst and, and up, there's been it seems to be a, another increase in in fatalities or serious accidents on the bypass. We, we've had a since I've been here. We've had a couple. It's you know unfortunately some of it is, is driving. You know so that's something that we have to enforce and educate people on. Mm-hmm. You know the bypass is a lot. There's heavy speeds and it's a it's a two lane road and you know. Is there anything that you think should be done to the bypass? Um, I mean, I've heard things, and I'm never sure whether I agree with them. You know, putting barriers in the middle. I'm I, I've sure. heard all that too, and it, I, I don't know what the right answer is. I think years ago they put in the rumble strips. Yep. They, they, this has been an ongoing discussion way before I was here. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think they have to do something, but I'm, I don't have the right answers for it. I know recently it was brought up in the, um, I think it was the 10-year plan, or we, we had a discussion over at town hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they brought Department of Transportation, I think, was there and so on. They had some discussions on that. Yeah, aside from making it a divided highway, I don't really know what else. Because lowering speed limits, sometimes that could make it worse because yeah. it gets people frustrated and they start passing, and that's what you don't want them to do. Right, and I, I, I don't think that's the right answer. I don't. I think we, you know, we we try to enforce the speed up there, but unfortunately, it's it's a it's a hard area to to enforce speeds. There's really not, you know, there's not a whole lot of places you can pull off. Is that your jurisdiction? Can you yeah, enforce this, up there? Yes, we can. Okay, even and though it's a state been, road. Yeah. So let's let's jump over to the schools for a bit. So I know we have the one school resource officer. Yes. Right? It's um, Rich. Um, Adnizio. Adnizio. I wasn't sure if I was going to pronounce that right. Is he, he is full-time and dedicated SRO, right? He is uh, full-time and dedicated SRO. When he is during the school year, he that's his main responsibility. If there's something major that that broke out, he would come to assist. But his main focus is the schools. And he's the only one. He's the only one. But we also have a juvenile officer, which yeah. is Officer Will Morrow, and he is very involved in that part. They they actually work together quite often. Okay, I was going to ask you that what the, what the juvenile officer would address juvenile cases that don't have to do with school. He he does both. He does and, both. But any juvenile case that we have would either go through him, and some of them will also go through our prosecutor too. But uh, Will would be the first, the first step on that that process. Okay. So, so Rich has to cover what is it? Five schools. Yes. So we have Jocks, then we have Heron Pond Middle School, High School, and then then Bales. Yes. So that's that's quite the. So he has to travel on to all those schools. Right. And he, he does a great job with it. He's, uh, you know, his, his office is based out of the middle school. Uh, he's at the middle school and high school quite often. Uh, but he does make his way down to the um, Heron Pond quite a bit. With the, the switch that the school did, uh, bringing, moving some of the kids down there mm-hmm. to Heron Pond, he's right. down there. And also, uh, also Morrow's down there quite often, too. 
So is that a good number, to, you know, two officers for that number number of kids? Is that is there a standard that the state likes or anything like that? That I don't know. That strikes me as, yeah. as low. But I would I, I would know. like to have another school resource officer. I know if, if, if that was uh, one of the uh, dream wishes I might have, I think uh, we could use another school resource officer. It would free up Officer Mara to do more with the juvenile, you know, just juveniles in general. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things in the future that, maybe we would look at because I, the the bond that Officer Adnesio and Officer Mara has built with the ki- the students, the kids, and also the teachers makes a big difference. Oh, I'm sure it does. So what is his actual, I assume he reports to you. He doesn't report yes. to anyone in the school district. Yeah, he actually, uh, he falls under uh, Captain Pelletier and okay. uh, Sergeant Fowle, who's a detective sergeant. So he, so anything that goes on, it would go up through the ranks through them. He actually reports here at the police department, and then it'll go to the school. So what what they do is uh, funding for him is basically between us and the school. Okay. Uh, the school pays for 180 days, which is basically the school year. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then, so that's why we make sure that he's his primary focus is the school. So when there's, you know. 99% of the time, he will not be answering calls from outside. But on the same token, he helps us tremendously because the officers aren't going to the school to handle calls either. Right. So they can concentrate with their <clears throat> patrols and stuff out, outside of the school areas. So recently, I think it was probably last spring, because it was in the news that there was a, uh, a drug sweep at the high school. Yeah. Was that a drill? Was it an exercise? Where Was there a suspicion and you were actually acting on some concern? No, that- that was when we brought the dogs in you're talking about? I, I think so. Yeah, we brought the uh, the, the dogs and the canines. We, we, we have one canine officer here, Mike Barrett. Uh, so we have one canine, and he does that quite often. He'll go to other, with other departments if they want to uh, check some schools out. So in reference to ours, it's, it's been an ongoing question, should we do it, and so on. Citizens have asked about doing it. Uh, the new administration came in, and they – decided they wanted to do it. It's their decision to do it. Okay, that was uh, one, that was one of my questions. Yes. It is their decision. We're not going to go in and say, hey, we want to do it. Uh, it's their decision, and we're there to work with them mm-hmm. on it. It was something that we felt – I think it was a good operation. Mm-hmm. It, it worked out well. It, it allowed people to see what we're doing. Uh, it allowed people to have a little bit of knowledge of what's going on in the school. So, I mean, I don't know whether you'd even be able to tell me if, if it was, but is, there was not a specific suspicion. Like, they didn't call here and say, you know, we think there's drugs in the school come. No, it, it wasn't that. It was, it was, I think it was more of we want to we do this to, to ensure that maybe there's, there's mm-hmm. not drugs. We just went in, and, and the kids went outside. All the students were outside, and they just did a big sweep of the school. It was just to see if there was anything there. And was there anything found? Or you I don't even... believe they found anything. Okay, okay. Is that going to be something that's going to be done on a regular basis? Strictly up to the school. It's up to the school. Do you have the authority to do it? If you had a suspicion? I'm sure they'd let you, but... I, I think we could talk to them. I don't yeah. know how much authority I have on it because it's... If I have that suspicion that I'm going to do an investigation, it would be handled a lot differently. Is there... Has there ever been any issue with firearms in schools? We haven't had the issues with the firearms. Uh, a couple years back, one of the things as a town we looked at was trying to see if firearms, we could have it to where nobody can bring firearms to the school. Uh, this state is one of the only states around that allows adults adults right. to bring firearms in the school. So when you when you think of uh, Safe School Act, it's that's for students. Right. So, but still, we're one of the few states, I think there's only two states around that allow adults to bring firearms to schools. Yeah, that's that's disturbing. And it's not even, I mean, I could, as a parent or a guest or whatever, I could also. It's not just like staff. Right, right. No, is, it's, 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 now in reference to staff, I believe that's, that would be a school decision okay. on that. In reference to parents and, and people going, that's that's what we wanted to get more clarification on when we looked at this a couple of years ago. And the state allows people to, to carry firearms on school property. Has there ever been any discussion about metal detectors at the high school that you know of? If there has, been very vague. Mm-hmm. So continuing on with the school, I know recently... Uh, there's been presentations by the the resource officer for the uh, emergency response training, yep. which is lockdown drills and that that sort of stuff. How involved are you folks in in coming up with those policies and and what happens over there, or is that the administration that does that? 
we were we were real involved in this part. It was a it was a joint working relationship on that, but really, uh, Officer Adnesio was the main push on this part of it. It was he did all the the preparation for it. He came up with it. He worked with uh, Captain Pelletier to come up with the they, we call it the ELR emergency okay. uh, lockdown response, and it, it's a big change from what it was before. That was yeah. <laughs> I, I started listening to. Granitown Media recorded it, and I started, but I didn't, didn't listen to the whole thing. So, what what has changed? What what? It's and what was the impetus for the change? Well, it's I, I think across the nation, it's changing the way you you deal with active shooters, and especially school active shooters. So we we've uh, actually, Officer Adnizio did a lot of follow up on that, and what we came up with is this this new system it's not just a you're going to lock the doors and and hang in it's it's more it puts more responsibilities with the the administration and also the teachers to make decisions there's you know there's more especially for the high school there's more that the students can do they're more involved so it's it's more involvement all the way around where instead it used to be you'd, you'd lock your doors and close everything down and, and then wait. Mm-hmm. You know, now there's there's a lot of things you can if you can get evacuate, you evacuate. If you can if you have to go hands on as a last resort, you go hands on as a last resort. It's just a just a big change of thought, but I think it's happening across the nation that way. Yeah, that that strikes me as a good idea because I would think most of these most of these cases, these active shooters are students. A so, lot of times they are or ex students. So they probably know these drills. Mm-hmm. So if, if they know that the students are going to go hide in a certain section of the building, they know, which is kind of counterintuitive. You'd think you'd want a, a more dynamic response so that you can deal with that. And one of the, one of the questions I think I was was asked was, well, if they're part of the these drills also, don't they know the same thing? Right. But again, you're you're talking everybody's going to handle this different. Mm-hmm. If you're a teacher in my class or you're a teacher in your your class, you might handle that situation different than I'm going to handle that situation. So you don't know which way it's going to go. This is more about a lot of clear talk. You know, there's somebody in the building. You know, they're on the north side of the building, whatever. If you're on the south side of the building, you might be saying, let's go. We're mm-hmm. getting out of here. So it's a, it's a whole change of thought. And this comes down from some policing organization that I think there's a there's standards. a lot of uh, Rich has done a lot of research on it, and it's it's he goes to a lot of conferences in reference to this type of training and all. Actually, this could be a good do a whole podcast just oh, with could him. Be. Just and with him, he would he would really like to do that. I'm sure that 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 might be pretty interesting because there's there's a lot of really well, it's interesting yeah. and very important too. It is, and one of the things as, as you said earlier. We did, when he had the uh, meeting with the parents, uh, one of them was uh, recorded. But I think uh, a follow-up would be great on that because the second one, unfortunately, when we had the meetings with the parents, we had two meetings with the parents, and they were both around 6 o'clock, and unfortunately a lot of people couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. So the first one we had a decent turnout, and the second one, I, I believe we had about 50, 60 people at each one. So that's why we wanted to make sure we had one that was recorded. But it, it, by all means, if, if we you would like to do another one, it would, yeah. I think the more information we get out to the parents, the better they understand it, and the more they they'll they'll either like it or not like it. And we're here to if they have some more questions, uh, we're we're here for mm-hmm. them. Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll reach out to him because I think particularly in audio only format. It's really nice for something like that because people can listen to it in their car mm-hmm. at the gym. They don't have to sit and watch a video on Granitown Media. <laughs> so what, what's the protocol? So, so that's what they're doing in the schools. What's the larger protocol for engaging the troops, so to speak, you guys? So is there what, what happens? I'm sure they obviously a teacher could call 911 if something happens. Yeah. Is that what you tell them to do or is there... Is there a hotline somewhere? Is there an emergency buzzer at the principal's office? Well, Anything are, like that. One of the things that the schools put in place is when a teacher calls the 911, the E911, it, it goes to the principal, it goes to the vice principal. I believe it goes to the school nurse. Immediately also, or it gets routed? Yeah, and, and also it goes to, um, I believe, Mac Base and maybe here. But also what happens is it'll also show which room everybody they're calling from. So there's a lot more information that we're getting right off the bat. 
and then our officers would respond. And what we've done is we've worked with the schools, and now the doors are marked, and so we can sit there and say, you got to go through door one, and you know which room it is, and so on. So it's we we've worked it a way to where the there's more information out for our officers to so when they get it, they can go, they know where to go, because. The, the realistic thing of this is we're going to have officers from other towns coming, too. Mm-hmm. So the more information that we have, the better. So that's what I was kind of wondering. So what actually happens? So the teacher calls 911. <clears throat> Does that, that automatically routes to these places or it's, someone answers and conquers it's, it? It's going to go out, and then they're going to, they'll do follow-ups on it. Um, so it's going to come to the principal, come yeah. to you. So you, right. So then who makes the decision on... Do you pull everybody off the street and say go to the school? They're, they're going to start going once dispatch starts dispatches it. They're going to start going, and okay. then we'll get information as we go. If it ends up being nothing, then we'll hear from dispatch. Uh, so does dispatch? So maybe this is a broader question about how dispatch works. Do they make the decision that all available offices go to this call, or is that they, always the case? They, I think it would be always the case. Okay, it would be up to our supervisors to decide where everybody's going to go. Okay. Um, they they would call whoever's in that sector. They would go. Of course, the supervisor would also be. They might even go right to the supervisor first. People would start going. They'll they'll be relaying information as we're going. Uh, when we get there, the first officer is going to get there. He's going to assess the scene. Hopefully, uh, they 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 assess it and they decide are they going in and so on. Most cases, once another officer gets in, if, if they're, they hear something going on, they're, they're going to go in. Or if there's information saying there's, there is a person walking down the hallway, they're, they're going to go in. Okay. Uh, there's different, it could be a whole set, different circumstance. So then any any, any random post. officer that is first on the scene has the authority to enter the building if, if yeah, they... Yeah, they're going to do what they have to do. And so then how does, you mentioned... Other towns will get involved. Is that all the call of? Is would that be your call or whoever's in command at the scene? We would we would do that. It would, you know, we would request through Mac Base, you know, mutual aid. Okay, uh, so that's all. And they would start. And you know, the one thing about the regional dispatch is that they would probably hear that also. So they would be waiting and for that call. They knowing the officers in the other towns, they'd probably be already coming this way. So now you do do special training for these kind of mass events, right? Because, again, I, I can't think when this was, but recently there was some yeah. casualty event at the high school you We did, just I recently think? did that, and it was, it was training, I believe, through, through the state. Okay. Uh, but it was, we went out. Uh, the fire department had some officers there. Uh, ambulance had people there. And so we worked as a joint thing, and it was one of those situations where, you, you know, you go in. It was kind of – I think if I remember right, because we've done a lot of training recently, this could have been warm zone training, and basically warm zone training, it's it's a new, new, I don't know how new, but it's a new aspect of training where you go in, you secure an area so that EMS personnel can come in and fire personnel can come in if they're, they're working with EMS, and you can set up a triage area. So it used to be you, you'd wait until the area was secured all the way around, and then you'd bring in. Now the thought process is if you can get into a warm zone area, so you still say you were in the school and you had the cafeteria was secured, you you could bring EMS in there and they could start working on okay. on people. And still you're you're looking at the threats. But it, it gives you and that's that was that training I believe they just went through it was warm zone training. Okay. And that was with the state. Yes, it was through the state. It was a state-funded training. We we look at a lot of that because what, as as you know, we're all on budget. So some of the things that helps us is when the state does this type of training, you know, we can get reimbursed for for overtime and something stuff like that. So as we're a small department, all the small departments around here, when you you know, got officers that go to these trainings, you got to you got to bring other officers in to work the road. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do a lot of training with the three departments locally do you get together we often we we get together some i know the fire department does a lot of training and the ambulance you know ambulance comes in and does our cpr training uh we started doing this warm zone we've done some training at heron pond where we're looking at an active shooter and we've all went down there to see how we'd set up a command post and so on so we've done some more i know uh, i've talked to chief larity and and director shelberg uh, they want to do more training, and we will probably do more training as we get more involved with this stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I was impressed. I was, I'm on the CIP committee, mm-hmm. the Capital Improvements Committee, and we were meeting, this was probably, what, three weeks ago? There was an overturned car in front of Town Hall. Yep. Um, you remember that night? It was a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. But I happened to, we happened to be in the banquet hall, so we, with Chief Flaherty, and Chief Flaherty was presenting, and it was right in front of Town Hall where it happened. So we were literally standing on the windows, looking down on the scene. It was like, it was like watching a documentary, and we had Chief Flaherty telling us. I was very impressed with how um, everyone deployed, not just not mm-hmm. just you know his his um, firefighters, but you know the police were there and the EMS was there, and it was it was like I said, it was like a documentary watching how things you know should happen. And Chief Flaherty would be saying, "Okay, now you know he first he rated to see if they needed him, and they didn't need him. We didn't see it till after it occurred, uh, so it was already everyone was already there. So he was telling us, okay, the next thing is they're going to need to disengage the battery before they can get the jaws of life out.' So and he's telling us, so so these two firefighters over there should approach the car soon and open the hood, and that's exactly what they did. It was really quite interesting. Right. So I was very impressed with how all the agencies worked together, and they were all right there together doing their their little piece of the puzzle and one thing about this town and i'm sure it's like at most towns around here is we have a real good rapport with um the other emergency services ambulance and fire and, and dpw uh it you know especially with the weather that we have mm-hmm. you need everybody on the same page and we 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 definitely work well together that's great okay officer safety now are you are you concerned at all? I'm sure you're concerned, but in this current, there's a current environment you know, nationwide where there's a lot of suspicion and, and just not, not a lot of, kind of, I guess hostility is a good word, towards police officers in general. Mm. Do you see much of that up here, and, and, and are you concerned about it? I don't see a whole lot here. Um, I, I think everybody always has to worry about officer safety, and we, we do a lot of training in reference to that. This year, we've We've got 1,598 hours worth of training our officers have been through. Uh, last year, we did 17 over 1,700. Wow. Uh, so we pretty much average that. We try to get some training here. You know, besides just the state-mandated training, we, we try to do a lot of other training also. Uh, so I think the, the more highly trained you are, the better prepared you are for these type of scenarios. We talked earlier about the violent crime and all. We don't. Luckily, we don't have a whole lot of it, so I don't want our officers to get complacent either. And and I think on the most part they don't. I think they're very uh, very aware of their surroundings when they're out there. So I I think that part they do a, a great job on that and keeping themselves aware of what's going on. In general, do you think your officers have a good rapport with the community in general? I believe so. They don't they don't yeah. face. I, I've never heard yeah. of any of these situations. You know where that where you always know, hear occasional. You know. I, I believe I believe overall there's uh, we have a good rapport, and so and I, w- I was going to ask you if if that type of thing ever affects your recruitment. Actually, I wanted to ask you that before when we were talking about the organization. I didn't. Are you fully staffed right now? We are fully staffed. Uh, we've been fully staffed now for um, good five months now. I think it's the first time we've been. Fully, I was fully staffed one. I think one time once before in my seven years here. I think it lasted about a month or two. <laughs> That's about it. Do you have in general is recruitment in a? a I'm sure it's an issue, but is yeah. it difficult? Recruitments. Uh, when I first came here, we were getting a good 150 applicants. We don't even come close to that anymore. And I don't know if it's because of over the last few years about how police work is going. I, I don't know. Uh, mm. It just seems like it's not as much as it used to be. And I don't know if people are looking at other careers. And I, I still think uh, being a police officer is a good career. It's something I, I'm in my 30th year. I, I enjoy it still. The uh, It's, you know, it's dealing with people in all different situations. Uh, there's good times and there's bad times. But it's, uh, it, overall, I would I wouldn't. I just I think it's a great career. Yeah, and you have fairly decent, you know, retainment. I'm just looking over the list of officers here, and, and this I see several names that have been here for quite a while. Yep. So you obviously must be doing well in that regard. Yeah, we when I first got here, we had, uh, and I think it's normal. We had a few people leave. Some of them went for got out of police work. Some of them went on. Um, some took a couple of chief jobs. They bettered their career, which I'm I'm all for anybody bettering their career. So it, it, it worked out well. Um, 
we were young for quite a bit, but I think now we're we we got a good good set across. We got some senior guys. We have a lot of people in your your five to seven, five to eight year, and we just have a few. Even the the new people that we brought on, some of them had several years of experience. So it worked out very well for That's us. It's good because because I have noticed in years past, sometimes it seems like a very young force. Yeah. Sometimes you see them, especially because they all drive SUVs now. Yep. So sometimes yep. you see some of the younger guys go by in one of those SUVs, and and they look they they look small. Okay, so the police station. So this here, I don't think I said when we started off we're recording this in in the the I still call it the new police station, but it's it's not new anymore. So you built this was built in two thousand five, is before your time, obviously. Does this still meet your needs? Are you? Is there anything in your head on Mac base aside? I'm going to talk about Mac base in a minute, <laughs> but Mac base aside, is is does this meet your needs? Still? It's it still does. Could it be a little bigger in certain places? Yeah, I, I, I guess it could. You know, because storage is starting to become a, a problem. Uh, one of the things that we recently did is uh, we worked with the school and uh, we had um, I'm not sure if, what class it would be, but they built us a shed. We had to we had to purchase materials and they built this uh, a real nice shed. So probably probably the building trade. Yeah, because I know they do that. Yep. A lot. And uh, so we're you know so we'll be able to uh, put our uh, police mountain bikes in there. Probably put the motorcycle in there. Because okay, I was going to ask like you when you said storage. Yep. Like equipment, not yep. necessarily record storage. Right. 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 And we're we're running low on record uh, record storage too. So do do you do you have any plans for? Asking for something, and then I haven't yeah. yet because of the way everything's going right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we you did mention Mac Base. We we're still on trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they were to make a decision to put a dispatch center over here, then we would have to put a, a small addition onto the police department. So why don't, why don't we since, <clears throat> since why don't we segue over to Mac Base right now? So I don't want to get too deep into it because as you know, it's this is an, an issue you could go on forever. So okay, for starters, can you just for listeners that might not know what is Mac Base and what do they do? Well, Mac Base is the uh, Milford Area Communication Center. Uh, they is the basically they're the dispatch center for for our department. Well, for for the emergency services of our town. They do dispatch for some of the emergency services for Mount Vernon and also for Welton and Lineborough. Okay. Don't they also do DPW for us, or is that they, not true? Well, we don't have radios. That's one of the things that we've talked about is the radio communications. They don't have access to that part with DPW. I, I believe they when they deal with DPW, it's more by cell phones. Okay, okay. So so let's get to that. So so there are issues with Mac Base. I think they're mainly police issues, I believe, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, ambulance and fire are less so. So what, what are the issues? What are your concerns with Mac Base as it's set up right now? Our concerns is that our officers just can't hear each other. Uh, when you can hear a call dispatched, um, sometimes you can hear an officer, you know, respond back. But as... Like, I could not hear a lot of times the officers responding back. So they might get the call. Officer can go to a call. And you can hear Mac Base, uh, the dispatchers at Mac Base, talking to the officers, but you can't hear the officer's response back. So if we have a, a scenario where you have an officer in a chase or, or just or on a traffic stop and, mm-hmm. you know, something goes wrong, if I can't hear what that officer is saying, I have to rely on the dispatcher to relay what the officer is saying, uh, which, again, that's timeliness. It's a safety issue. It, it's a safety issue, and that's that's our main concern. So is it all the time, or is that a coverage issue? It's getting worse as it goes. Okay. Uh, we, we have situations now where even the dispatchers sometimes are not being able to hear the the officers, so they'll tell the officers, hey, you got to go back to your car to get on your, your, your car console. And if they can't hear that, they sometimes will say, hey, you need to go on your cell phone to contact us. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's, there's some coverage issues, but there's the, the equipment's old. Mm-hmm. We, we need to revamp the whole thing. And so as a town, we have to decide which way we're going to revamp it. I mean, so the options would be fix Mac base yep. or just say it's time to make it Milford only. Right. That's that's the options you have, and and discussions have been going on for several years. They have. But the bottom line is, it it has to be fixed, and and everybody that we've brought in has basically says you need a whole new system, mm-hmm. and so that's the one thing we all know. And what's gonna what will happen 
five to 10 years from now, are we going to run into the same issue again if it's still running, operating the same way it does now? Right, because there's management issues and, right. and who gets to spend the money and who can't spend the money and that, that whole thing. So one of the proposals, I believe, is it right now it's in a consultant's hands. Yes. Is that true? You've hired a consultant. Yep. And the, they're going to make a recommendation? The town has hired a consultant based on the, uh, the vote of the, of the citizens. Um, and then once they're back, I believe they're supposed to be back around December 16th in that area and that with, a re, with a report. And then the town will have to make a decision on what they're going to do from there. Okay, so so are they? Is the consultant just addressing technical issues? Are they are they going to make a recommendation? We think it should be one municipality as opposed to multi. I believe the they're going to look at everything. Okay, and, and make a decision. So hopefully, it'll be an actionable yes. recommendation and not just fuel for another year of arguing. Right. I hope. I, I mean, I think it's time for it to get done one way or the other, and no matter what happens. They have to fix the, the system to where the officers and anybody in emergency services uh, can communicate effectively. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like a no-brainer to me. So, yeah, so let's, let's hope that gets taken care of real soon. All right, community outreach. I know you folks have several several programs. What's, what, what sort of things are, you, are well, you doing these days? I mean, we've done National Night Out. We do, we've done that for the last three or four years now. What is uh, that? That is uh, National Night Out. Is this, it's the first Tuesday of August of every year. It's a national event where you you bring people in. Uh, it's a community event. It's uh, a lot of police departments have it. It used it used to be you'd have your uh, neighborhood patrols, neighborhood watch. They would all meet for these things, and it's gotten to a point where it's a it's a major event, which we have down at Emerson Park. Uh, we bring a lot of people. We had a great turnout this year. Uh, you know, we end up cooking hamburgers, hot dogs. Okay. Uh, Cast comes out. Some other agencies come out. We've made it in in our town here. We've made it to where all everybody you you have a almost like a touch a truck event. So the fire department comes out, brings in their some of their equipment. DPW comes out, ambulance. Okay. So we all work together to have a a, a nice event. So. But that's one of the things we've done. We've brought back the Halloween parade for the kids, uh, which last year was the first year we did that. Uh, yeah, that's in the quite Oval, a while, yeah. And everybody seemed to really enjoy that. We've, we've done stuff in the library, the books and badges. Uh, we do the Santa on the Oval. We do the stuff a, stuff a Cruiser, which, again, that brings in toys for the kids who yep. need toys. Uh, we just did the Truck or Treat with a boys and girls club so we've worked with boys and oh girls just club. last yep. week right yep yep um we also do outreach where we will go to ledgewood bay uh meet with seniors there talk to them about scams we recently it was more last year we we did a presentation on scams so elderly abuse. that's actually pretty frightening because i know oh, yeah. some elderly, and and for whatever reason they're very susceptible to yep. it and trying to explain to people no don't don't answer them and that's another issue that we're running into around the town yeah. is these these scams that are going out recently we've, we've worked a few cases where people have lost a decent amount of money in reference to that so again people should be aware of what's going on uh, they're getting real good at what they're doing they are so it's it's yeah. hard to know and the other thing we did one of the things that uh we're really getting involved with is uh captain pelletier just recently went over to the medical center and met with a group of people that are dealing uh um, to talk about how p- uh, police should deal with people with dementia. So it's it's a good program. It helps us learn. Uh, they also know where we're coming from. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're we're really looking into stuff like that. Good. You mentioned books and badges. I hadn't heard of that before. What what is it? You Basically, re- you read the kids. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's and, uh, nice. Usually, uh, Matt Fifield is big on that, um, and Sean Pelletier usually go over. Will's done it. Will Morrow, a few of the officers went over and done it. Do you still do the Good Morning Milford? Program? Still do the Good Morning Milford. Uh, every morning, people call in to check in. So, can you just uh, talk about what that is. Yeah, basically, what it is is it's it's kind of like a a check in. People can call in, want to make sure that they they sign up. And what happens is they call in every morning. Uh, talk, call our front desk, our uh, admin assistant there. Usually, it's Valerie uh, during the week. Uh, Valerie works. She she just makes sure everybody's good when they and if they don't call in. Uh, we, 
we would send an officer out just to make sure it's kind of like a well-being check to make sure everybody's doing well. So this would typically be elderly or yes. maybe disabled, you yeah. know, shut-ins type stuff. Now, do you? I, I don't think you still do this, and I've mentioned this to you before. Before you were here, um, the agency used to issue trading cards. Yes. Are you familiar with that? I, th- I think I've talked to you about it before. It was a really great idea, I think. All the officers, every officer, chief included, had a set of trading cards with their picture on the front and their stats on the back and you know where they went to school and grew up, whatever. And they always carried it with it. And this was when my kids were younger. That's why I'm, I'm familiar with it. And every officer had the cards with them. And the, um, the game was all the kids wanted to get a card from every officer, but they had to approach the officer to ask. So you had to go up and you know, say, Chief Viola, my name is so-and-so, and you'd give him the card and you know, shake mm-hmm. his hand. And um, it was for a while. It was very popular. All the kids were like, you know, oh, we have to get, you know, it was. I think it was Sergeant Fry at the time. We had to get, you know, and uh, but I, I think those kind of things the, the kids love. And we we've, we've looked at that. Somebody approached us a couple of years ago about that. Oh, really? uh, getting back into that um, again. It's we're we're open for everything again. Uh, it's a matter of budgets, budgets, <laughs> budgets. Yeah, I'm I'm sure, and and that. Unfortunately, that's probably not top yeah. of the list when you have and what to. It, but one of the things we, we have done is we, we try to make sure the officers really have a good rapport with the kids. Um, you know, we've, we've looked at other things. We've, we've given stuff. Uh, we try to get stuff that we can give out when we have these events. And we're very involved with the touch of trucks. And, you know, through the rec department, mm-hmm. uh, we get involved with that part. Because uh, we, we know that if we deal with the kids at a younger age and they trust us more, then later on, I think it helps us. Uh, oh, I'm sure it does. It's going to make less work for us later on. I'm sure it does. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully, the Cub Scouts still come by every now and then. And yeah, like we to still get do uh, the tours. We do tours in the department. Um, they they still come by, and and we get a lot of people coming through. All right, I got a couple of a few, a few final questions for you here. If money were no object, and you could have just one thing. So Bill Gates comes in, opens his checkbook, and says, you can have anything you want but just one. <laughs> what would you want? That would be a tough one. I was hoping I'd have a few things. Well, you did mention the SR- <laughs> a second SRO officer. No, just one just one thing. I mean, uh, it, it's, it feels like, as far as resources, you've got what you need. Like, I mean, It does. Would you, would you want to have a, a, the, a substation somewhere? Is that somewhere? Are we big I don't, I don't that? think we need that yet. A, a couple of things that we really need to, you know, of course, our fleet. We have that discussion every year on our fleet. Uh, we have, uh, but your your fleet's on a regular basis now. We're, we're kind. Not- we try to get two cars a year. Okay. Uh, a lot, you know, it, it varies. Um, but they're we, in the budget. They're not. They don't go on as warrant articles like they right, used to years right, ago. There were right, warrant articles, and that's right. a nightmare. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. So that's one of the things I come from a department that had all take home cars, uh, which mm-hmm. I I'm a big advocate of take home cars. Even if we said take home cars for people who live in town, um, you it seems like you get uh, a lot better usage out of them. People are held more accountable for it. Uh, they seem to last longer. The other thing, I, you know, in reference to you talking about the station, um, one of the things I would like to do in the future is redo our community room. Uh, one of the, make it more up to date uh, with, uh, and I've actually talked to Chris Gentry in the past about that, trying to make see how we can make, make it a smart room. Because one of the things we've done is, I mean, that, that also brings in revenues because we can hold, host more schools there. Mm-hmm. and. Even if it doesn't bring in the, the cash revenue, it allows our officers to go. Because a lot of the trainings, when you host it, you get free spots. So there is a savings there. One of the things we, we've done in the last two years is um, Captain Pelletier is a, uh, a certified mountain bike instructor for Ipimba. So we hold a, we hold a class here. Uh, so it works out well. It, it brings in revenues that we can use, you know, hopefully towards our bikes. So there's there's that that type of stuff I think would be great to to uh, update. So if I can get that money, that's what I would. And a little more <laughs> a little more storage. Yeah. What worries you, In if, anything, to, if anything? Your job, the community. Yeah. Um, not much really. I, I I think the community is a good community. I think we have a good relationship. Uh, I, I I have a lot of trust in our officers. I believe they do a good job. Uh, they're hard workers and they're dedicated. Uh, we have a lot of them live in the community, so I, there's a lot of buy-in. Uh, 
one of the things I've, I've said since I've been here, I was, when I first came here, I was asked to move into the community. I think that was a great move. I'm glad that they asked me that, and I'm glad that we made that move because uh, it, it helps me with the buy-in, uh, being from outside. And I think uh, it's really helped me understand how our, our community is and how it works. Good. All right, good. So is there anything that you wanted to say that we didn't talk about? Uh, my, I just want to say that uh, I, I really, this town is a great town. Uh, I really enjoy the cooperation that, that we get with the citizens and the businesses here. And I also want to thank all, all our staff here at the police department, the officers and the admin staff, part-time, full-time, the uh, service aides. They all do a great job, and I really appreciate the hard work that everybody does and just the commitment that they bring forward. And really for the whole town, the people that work within this town, you, we have a lot of good employees in this town that really are dedicated and committed to this, to this town. Yes, we do. We do. I agree completely. All right, so it looks like that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Chief Viola for sitting down with us and talking. I learned quite a bit today. So I want to thank Chris Gentry. He's a GTM media manager. He has been our audio engineer for this episode. Our theme music today was written and performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or most of the major podcasting platforms. You can also stream directly from Granitown Media's podcast page at milford.nh.gov. As always, we welcome any and all feedback or suggestions you may have for future episodes. We invite you to go to the Granitown Media Facebook page or leave us a comment on our podcast page at soundcloud.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again for another episode of Inside Milford.